Hey, Mark. Hey, Dennis. I really need some legal advice. Can you give me some? (laughs) Yes, but not here. Okay, we'll talk about it later. And listeners, you're not getting legal advice here either. Remember. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostel Work Environment. <sighs> Hello and welcome. You're back with the Hostel Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. I'm Dennis. I'm Mark. How's it going, Mark? It's been a crappy week. It's been a truly crappy week. The news has been especially crappy. Yeah, I'm, my life's fine. Oh, mine too. Yeah, my, my week's actually been just fine. But, but our Twitter feed is full of crap. Totally full of crap. Lots of poo this week. Lots of poo. So if you're new to the podcast, we hope you, some of you are, um, several episodes back, we had a case that involved the poo flinging. And one would think that must be monkeys in a zoo, but it was actually employees at a mortuary. And very similar. Yeah. For some reason, that has encouraged people to send us their news stories that involve poo flinging. And a couple of those have turned up on our Twitter feed this week. Yeah. So we, we have one that that a lot of people have talked about. And, and, you know, we neither of us did much of a deep dive because the employment issues related to it are kind of straightforward. But I guess yeah. a woman uh, baked some laxative, ex-lax, into some brownies that she brought to a work function. Yeah, and then gave them to work and everybody got the Hershey squares. Well, I don't think anybody actually ended up eating them oh, in really? that story. I think it was figured out beforehand. Before, though, I'm trying to remember. There was How do you figure that out? The do, article do they, like, said, but we're, we, yeah, we didn't prepare ourselves to talk oh, about this. Yeah, we're just talking, right? Yeah, you can't yeah. expect us to be. Yeah, but I do remember, do you remember a movie? I, I want to say it was like Good Burger or something like that. I like one of those missed good terrible burger. Like, I think it took place in a burger joint, like, yeah. from the 80s, where somebody put, like, laxative in the burgers or something, and oh, okay. everybody ended up having to go to the bathroom. It reminded me of that. Yeah. Whatever movie that was. Whatever movie that was. In any case, that woman got fired. Yes. Which I think we would both support. Good. If you bring X-Lax brownies to work, you should probably lose your job. Less you're intending to tell people about it beforehand and they think that it might help. You're like, hey, everybody. I put some laxative in here. It helps me. Yeah, it might help you. <laughs> if you want, have one of my, you know, right. regularity brownies. Not what happened here. <laughs> no. Um, Notably, this is important. Apparently, this took place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. Happens to be where I went to law school oh so many years ago. I knew that. So, sounds like something that they would do in Southeast Michigan. What about Canada? Man, Tim Horton. <laughs> now, for our American listeners and all of our many, many other overseas but not from Canada listeners, you might not be familiar with well, Tim and, Horton. And, yeah, right. I, I, you know, and it's also around northern U.S. Ann Arbor, Michigan happens to have a Tim Hortons, or at least it did 20 years ago. Yeah, but we don't see them here until we get pretty close up to the Canadian border. I think you got to cross over. Do you? Maybe. I I thought there were some in northern Washington, but I could be wrong about that. But for those of you wondering what we're talking about, Tim Hortons is a donut and coffee chain ubiquitous in the Great White North, and they make the best donuts. They're good. They're good. When I was in, I was in Vancouver uh, like a year ago and had the greatest donut confection of all time. So this is revealing some of my Canadian ties. But when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with family up in Canada. And one of my favorite things to eat is called a Nanaimo bar. A Nanaimo bar. A Nanaimo bar, which is named after the town of Nanaimo, which is on Vancouver Island, yes. which is where, you know, part of the, you know, my family ended up settling many years ago. Tim Hortons, at least in British Columbia, makes a Nanaimo bar donut, which takes the wonderfulness of the Nanaimo bar 
which is kind of like a you know a blondie or something like that. It's got right. some chocolate, some coconuts, some other stuff. It's great. You take the wonderful thing that is Nanaimo bar and you put it in the Tim Hortons donut form. I got to tell you, it's a quality donut. Which is exactly the opposite of what happened at Tim Hortons. Yeah, uh, uh, this got tweeted at us several times. A Tim Hortons customer, and we don't know why she was unhappy, but she it's seemed all, quite unhappy. Yeah, there's a video. And there's a video, and I'm sure if you just, you know, Google Tim Hortons pooper, you're probably going to find it. But If you want to watch it. And Once I'm not was sure enough for you me. do. Once was enough for me. More than enough. I, I, it could spawn its whole new series of reaction videos. Like That's true. Two Girls, One Cup right. a while back. Something right. else you should, should not, not Google. Google. <laughs> um, but you can watch the reaction videos. They're kind of funny. This, this would be the same thing. In any event, the video shows in glorious high resolution. This No, it's not. It's pretty good. I mean, you can it's see what's like happening. It's not like black and white. Well, it's, it's somewhere in between. Let me put it this because way. Because we can't identify who she is. You don't see her face well. Yeah, I, right? it's we kind were of just talking angle. about it. But it, it, it has higher resolution than I really want. Than a typical – well, you can see what comes out. Yeah. And what happens here, a customer is getting into it with the cashier at a Tim Hortons. And we don't know what the cashier did or said or didn't do or didn't say. But this customer got really irate. So she backed up leaned her back up against a partition wall and dropped a deuce right there in Tim Hortons. Pooped all over the floor. Well, it was Not all confined. over. It was confined. But. And at that point, she then picked it up and flung <laughs> it at the poor Tim Hortons cashier. I found most disturbing. She this, is, this is Dennis. This is what Dennis said when he came into my... Office here. You can tell I used to work in healthcare. Yeah. I, I've, my perspective is altered. This is his. She grabs like one thin little Tim Hortons napkin, wipes, and exits the building. And I'm like, my God, you got to wash your hands. With soap and water. With soap and water. In fact, if, if you've touched that, you should probably wash twice. So the question that was posed to us, the, the important employment question, because this was right after an episode where we talked about... Your, when does your horrific off-duty conduct get you fired? This. Yeah, flinging your poo at If somebody. they can figure out who it is. If you can figure out who it is. If you look at that and go, oh my God, it's Betty. Right. And more importantly, like your customers or your business contacts might see, see the video yeah, and go like, no. look, oh my God, it's Betty. I can't speak to Canadian law. No, no, nor can I. This is in no way legal advice in the Great Ever North. about, well, or the or anywhere. White South. Yeah. It, it is in Wyoming. <laughs> I think we're safe to we're give safe. legal advice to Wyoming. Right, because we don't have any listeners. Right. But everywhere else, you know, <laughs> not, not legal advice. But I think yeah. you're pretty safe to That's pretty safe somebody to... for, you know, flinging poo and ending up on everybody's interwebs. What if she flung poo? What if she, what if she was an employee there? Let's just change the facts a little bit. Like a Tim Hortons employee? Yeah, and she's getting in a fight with a coworker, and she raised a safety concern. Who did? She did. The poo flinger? Yeah. Is that why she's flinging poo? Yeah, because to protest, the, to safety protest the, safety, the safety violations at the Tim Hortons. Well, does, that, does that undo an, uh, an otherwise protected act? Uh, you know... Under the this Ob- is way more than we had planned to talk the about Obama this. Under the Obama board, yeah. I think poo flinging in the course of you know addressing terms and conditions of employment, right, as we talked about last might week, might have been a protected concerted activity. Probably not under the Trump board. Probably not under the Trump. Board. I'd say, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think I'd say almost certainly not bit. under the Trump board. I think it's arguable whether poop would be protected. I, I form of you know, expression. If, if this happened in the United States, given the disease, at least. Right. He's spreading and, and it's a it's a it's a it's a restaurant type setting. You know, I think if this happened in the United States and one of my clients called me up and said, What do we do with this poo flinging employee? Fire. I think I'd probably support a very strong verbal warning. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. I, think, I think we'd fire. Yeah. So that was the week in feces. Week in feces update. Yeah. Um we have a case today that has 
nothing to do with feces. Yeah, please. So we should probably put a disclaimer at the front. It's like, you know, if you're poo sensitive, fast forward right. nine minutes and 59 yeah, seconds. Yeah, we talk about 10 minutes of 10 minutes crap. of scatological wonder. Crap. This is like the crappiest podcast we've ever done. Totally. All Improve right. things, Mark. What do you got for us? All right. So I want you to think back to one of our earlier episodes, probably in the first couple. Yeah. Do you remember a case that involved spanking? Do I ever? It was a real estate agent with a lawn sign, if memory serves. It was like episode one or two. I think it was episode two ish, something like that. So uh, I love that case and I always bring that case. I even bring that case up in training now. Uh, to talk about because it covers a lot of stuff like bullying and hazing, oh, yeah, and but also like real like harassment and uh, sexual harassment and all sorts of stuff like that. I think it, it yeah, ties a, a lot case. of things that we train on as employment lawyers together, and so I talk about that case a lot. This case reminds me of that case. Oh, good. So, this is an older case, um, it's uh, about 10 years old. So it takes place uh, at a company called Prosper Inc. in Pro- ah, excuse me, Provo, Utah. Prosper in Provo. Okay. Do people and prosper in Provo? I was just in Provo last year. It was, really? It seemed fine. Yeah. You know. Cool. The, the bar was doing well, but it was the. They have bars in Provo. They have two. Two is my understanding, and that's like I was, one bar was, per hundred well, thousand. Well, okay, now we're we're, we're sidetracked here again. This was for the Wisconsin BYU football game. I was oh, there. Oh yeah, they just friends from Wisconsin, and I was in a bar with all the Wisconsin people. Well, I would imagine the Wisconsin people are probably heavier drinkers than the BYU. They crowd. might have drunk the whole town dry, which which was only two not bars. Hard to do. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so Provo, Provo. Um, Prosper is a company that sells a combination of online and personalized instruction. I don't know. The article didn't have anything more than no that. No idea what that is. Right? But I don't care. They package it as, quote, unquote, coaching, and it runs three to $15,000 right, to customers who are solicited by them by telephone, whatever that means. <laughs> Sounds like a scam. Yeah, so, sort of. Well, just wait till the next paragraph. Here. Oh, okay. So on May 29th, 2007. Now, I want you to realize that this article that I, I read is from like 2010. Okay. Okay. So when I read this next sentence, it was without any knowledge of what is happening in our world today. Whoa. The Prosper team was calling on behalf of Trump University. <laughs> you didn't say. Pitching real estate instruction to people who had attended a Trump seminar. Oh, my God. At the time, Prosper was doing very well. I say that I don't know how they're doing today, but at least at the time they were doing well with 500 employees and clients in 70 countries. Wow. Um, But as we kind of just referenced in a story that's somewhat reminiscent of a certain prior case that we've discussed, Prosper had a little bit of an interesting work culture. Oh, good. Tell us about it. For example, if the 10-person sales team went a day without a sale... They had to work the next day standing up. All their chairs would be removed. Okay. Um, If team members were negative, quote-unquote negative, um, the sales manager, in different reporting I saw, would either threaten to or actually did uh, draw a mustache on their face with permanent marker. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, was it like a like evil mustache? It did not get you. You you just envision it however you like. I envision um, an evil curly mustache, like yes. villain time. Yeah, with their like railroad tracks. Yes, kind of right. That they're kind of twirling with their right. Yeah, in their fingers. Um, right, and the manager uh, was also reputed for keeping a, a large piece of wood on his desk. <laughs> That he called the two by four of motivation. <laughs> oh my god! That is, <laughs> yes, I guess. I was like, what, and I read all of this after because I'm burying the lead here. Yeah, we're gonna get to it, but the lead in the article is the worst part. Oh, which we haven't gotten to yet. All but right. when I, after I read the lead and I got down to this, I was like, oh my God, it's just like the other case. The two just, by four of motivation. Like, that's awesome. I mean, terrible. We don't recommend no, it. No, 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 no. But kind of awesome. It's fantastic. I, I like it. All it's right. It's kind of like so, the Board of Education. 
Yes, the Board of Education. That's what we called it at my school. Yes, yes. All right. So uh, enter Chad. Chad. Oh, that's, we know Chad's a douchebag. Well, he, he he's not the douchebag in this case. Oh, this I case. take it back. Sorry yeah. to all the Chads of the world. Yeah, I know lots of very nice Chads. Or at least like one. One. Okay. The, so, the nice Chad. The nice Chad. Um, so Chad was a sales rep for okay. Prosper. And uh, this morning, so this is May 29th, uh, not that that matters for anything, um, Chad was part of an all-male group of Prosper employees who were called into the break room by their boss, Josh. He told them that they were going to an exercise or going to do an exercise and asked for a volunteer. Let me guess, Chad volunteered. Chad willingly put himself forward. Chad. So yes. Such a Chad. Um, Chad is quoted in the article as saying, keep in mind, the last time we did a team building exercise outside, we did an egg toss. So Josh took the group outside to a grassy hill near the office park that the office was located in and instructed Chad, his volunteer, to lay down on the grass on his back with his head downhill. With his head downhill. Yeah, so there's like an incline. I don't think it's a steep incline, but just with his head kind of on the grassy knoll with his head kind of lower than where his feet are. Okay. Josh then instructed the other participants to hold Chad down. What? While Josh... No. I think I know where this is going. You've got to be kidding me. Well, just wait for the punchline. Josh proceeds to grab a gallon jug of water. Oh, my God. Yep. And pour it over Chad's nose and mouth. They waterboarded him. They waterboarded him. And remember, you know, what's going on in the news at this point in time 10 years ago. Yeah, we had a little issue with waterboarding then as now. As now, right. But Today this was, we just confirmed a new CIA director who was involved in that waterboarding of 10 I years ago. I saw that today. Or at least approved right. of it 10 years ago. But this is right around 10 years ago when Guantanamo Bay and oh, waterboarding, yeah. and this was all in the news. 2007 was so, the year of waterboarding. So the company says that Josh explained to Chad what was going to happen. So here we're getting. So to this point, there is no dispute. Oh, so that this Chad happened. knew he was to be waterboarded. Well, to this point, he or at least he knew that he would be placed on the ground and waterboarded. No, no, that's what Josh is saying. So now we have a, a okay. fact dispute. Oh, okay. right. So Chad says that he didn't know. He didn't. Josh know. says that he did know. Oh, okay. That he had explained it. Right. So fact okay. dispute here, but Got there's it. no dispute over the fact that he was in fact waterboarded. Oh, okay. Okay. Everybody's like, yeah. No, yeah, that we waterboarded him. That happened. That's what we do here. That's what we do Prosper. here at Prosper Inc. in Provo, Utah. Oh, my God. So Chad says, so they held me down. Uh, and the next thing I know, Josh has a gallon jug of water and he's pouring it on my face. I can't scream because the water's going down my throat. Halfway through, he stopped for a second. I tried to mumble the words, stop, knock it off. I tried to get that out, but he continued to pour. I wasn't getting any air, and towards the end, I started to black out. I got very dizzy, lightheaded. The sensation that's going through my head is, I'm going to drown. Wow. Not cool. Not cool. I don't think it takes two lawyers or anybody else to say, to come to that realization of just how uncool that is. So, so just to reiterate here, they progressed from egg toss to waterboarding. Yeah. Makes sense. Pretty standard. Yeah. But with <laughs> with the two by four motivation in between. <laughs> uh, so here's my... Suddenly coffee is for closers is looking pretty nice. <laughs> it so is. Um, here's my favorite part. What? There's more? Oh, yeah. The, the next two things are oh, unbelievable. When he finally relented, Josh looked to the assembled sales team. And again, this is not disputed. I want to be very clear that this this particular fact. Josh admits this. Yes. And he said to the team, you all saw how hard Chad had to fight for air right there. 
I want you to go back inside and fight that hard to make sales. Wow. <laughs> that, I mean, every job I have ever had, and I've had some bad ones, suddenly looks fantastic. So good. Fantastic. So Josh, being the uh, sophisticate that he is, uh, told executives after this came to light yeah. that he was inspired to do this by reading about the Greek philosopher Socrates. <laughs> but of course. Who is said to have once held a student's head underwater and then told him he must want to learn as badly as he wanted air. <laughs> Yeah, because what people did 2,000 years ago is a real great idea of what to I, do today. I, that's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, We should bring back the rack. Right. The workplace rack. The Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah. It can sit next to the 2 by 4 of motivation. Yeah, we need more inquisition. Yeah, all right. So, unsurprisingly, <laughs> Chad brought a claim after he quit. Due to his anxiety and sleeplessness and a whole host of other uh, things oh, that resulted from this Good for incident. you, Chad. I take um, back every bad thing I ever said about Chad's. Right? The poor Chad. Poor Chad. So, Never thought I'd say it, but man. It's, it's a little weird because this isn't the legal standard in the case or anything, but I'm like trying to figure out, did they torture him? Well... Good point, because we've had a whole lot of debate in this country as to whether waterboarding is torture. And I think right. it really just comes down to your your take on waterboarding. Right. But is that in a vacuum? Like, whether you call it torture or not, can you ever do that to somebody? Do you think you can ever do that to somebody? So, yes. Okay. and And, and have it not be illegal. Yes. Okay. Tell me about that. So, if, and I'm not saying this is a good right. idea. And, and this isn't an employment question at this point. This is just a can you waterboard somebody? Can you waterboard somebody? And the answer is yes. If somebody truly, one, knows what they're getting into, yeah. and two, consents, consents to that, then yeah, you can do that. Agreed. And in fact, people actually I've heard that people do that to find out what waterboarding is like if you work in, like, law enforcement or stuff yep. like that. Just like in law enforcement, if you want to carry a taser, oftentimes you have to be tased to know what it is so that you don't do it lightly on somebody so else. So does the intent come into it? Whose intent? The intent of of the parties generally, right? So if it's if it's an agreement between two parties, right? Yes. Then the intent is not to torture per se. No. It, or it, to cause. Right? It's simply to inform. Well, it could level. be to torture if that's what one is into. Right. As opposed to, well, I simply want to torture somebody, and that's how I'm going to do it. And they don't consent, and right? Like, so I guess consent is a big piece of it, but that yeah. also comes back down to an, uh, without intent consent, this is going to be illegal. It's a right. battery. Yeah. Okay. If you have consent, informed consent by both parties, I think the motivations are irrelevant. I tend to agree. You know, otherwise, you know, every S&M session ever would be unlawful, and that's certainly right. not the case. So Chad brought four claims. Okay. Common law assault and battery. Which, without consent, he wins. IIED. Intention the intentional infliction of emotional distress. Correct. And again, I think without consent, he wins. Wrongful termination and violation of public policy. Presumably based on some sort of constructive discharge. Claim. Correct. And intentional interference with contractual relationship. And it doesn't get into... That one I don't know about. It doesn't get into a whole lot if, uh, about what his contractual relationship was. So I don't have a whole lot to say about And the reason that. that's a loser, if this is directed at his employment relationship with Prosper... You can't interfere with your own relationship. It has to be the relationship somebody has with a third party. Unless he was suing Josh individually for interfering in his relationship with Prosper, which might fly. He was, he was bringing his claims against both. So, yeah, let me, who knows? Okay, so. Not Utah lawyers, but. 
Prosper moves to dismiss the claim, all claims. Yeah. Just on a motion to dismiss, pre-discovery. Really? Any on thoughts what basis? on the well, that's what I was gonna put in front of you. Any thoughts on the theory? Pre-discovery now, motion I, to dismiss. So just basically I, on its face. Yes. Now I will tell Chad's you that they, they use the same no they use the same theory for the common law assault and battery, the IIED, and the intentional interference with contractual relationship. Put the contractual one aside because yeah, I don't okay, fine. Right. So they use the same theory on common law assault and battery and IIED and a separate theory on wrongful termination. Well, on wrongful termination, I'm going to take a wild guess that the activities complained of were not sufficient to create such an inhospitable working environment that Chad had no choice but to quit. I Therefore, thought, no constructive discharge. I thought the same thing. But it's, it's not, not about constructive discharge. Those words don't even show up in the article and, and, oh, and the appellate case that I read. Okay, On that claim, it's based on something that you don't know. Oh. So I'm going to tell you it because that's easy, All right, yeah. right? Is the pleading, the complaint, literally never says what public policy is being violated. Oh, and you have to have a you, you public have have policy a public, violation. Right. Now, to have I think that's discharge. pretty easy to articulate. The public policy against torture? Yes. Maybe. I'm not sure that there is a public policy against torture. You don't think so? Well... There's lots of bad things that there's no public policy against because we've never had to articulate it in our laws or, you know, some sort of standard out there. You don't think you could read it in? Torture? Maybe. Probably. Eh. In any event. It, it, it's Utah. That's a, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a technical, right, technical theory, and they win on that. They get that claim okay. dismissed. What do you think their theory is on common law assault and battery and IIED? And I'm gonna—I'll give you a hint. Yeah, it's something you brought up last week in our cruise ship discussion. I brought it up last week in the cruise ship discussion. Um, well, it can't be consent because we know that there's a dispute of fact over that. Correct. Um, wow, I. I'm trying to remember back to that, and he's injured on the job. Oh, it's a workers' comp. They claimed workers' comp exclusivity. No way. On assault and battery no and IIED. Way. They lose on that. They win on that. No. Here's the court's reasoning. I don't agree with this. Is this, this a Utah like, state court or a federal court? Uh, I'm going to guess Utah state. don't have it in state. front of me right now, but... Uh-huh. Um, I don't see a federal issue here. So. Yeah, no, I think it's probably a state, state court. court. Um, the uh, court granted the motion to dismiss on workers' comp exclusivity because it concluded. And for our listeners, that means that Chad could not sue. He could only file a workers' comp claim. Correct. If it's if it's an on-the-job injury of that nature, right. where you have physical or mental injury, yeah. right, then your remedy is solely through workers', workers compensation comp. not right. through a litigation not through a litigation process right. all right so the court granted the motion to dismiss because it concluded chad failed to state a claim because there was no evidence to demonstrate that josh's motivation was anything other than to motivate a team member as opposed to an intent to injure chad and to beat workers' comp exclusivity, you actually have to intend, intend the injury, Correct. not just, oops, I caused it. Correct. Wow. I thought that was insane. That's pretty insane. So. Because I would, I would argue Josh's stated intent is to show the rest of everybody else that they need to want to sell as much as Chad wants to breathe. And that requires an intentional injury to Chad. I agree. The whole motivation exercise doesn't work without injuring Chad. And I think that Chad's representation in this case was poor. Oh. Because I think that there's a lot of obvious arguments that you and I are even just talking about here that I do not believe were in the pleading. Oh, that's okay. unfortunate. There is some subsequent history to this case, right, which uh, Chad appealed. 
because he was denied leave to amend his complaint, it went up to, a, to an appellate court level. The appellate court uh, upheld it and went to the Supreme Court. They said, no, you have leave to amend. And presumably an amended pleading was filed, but I could not find in my you know somewhat limited yeah, prep time here, could not find what happened after that. Wow. If any of our listeners know, yeah. Let us know. Yeah, I'd be very interested to know. I, my guess is when the trail runs dry like that, it probably means they settled rather than going through another, you That's know, usually what happens, yeah. legal proceeding. But, man, um, I thought that was a fascinating uh, crazy theory and argument to get out of something that is horrible. Horrible. Oh, God, awful. Ropes course. Right. Do a ropes course. Right. Three-legged race. Yeah, go back to the old egg toss. Do it right. with water balloons. Sack races. No waterboarding, no flinging feces. Those are our rules. Um, two by fours of motivation, probably okay. Probably okay. <laughs> that was an awesome story. Thanks, Mark. You are very that welcome. That was a good one. We're going to take a short break. Be right back. Okay, we're back. And Mark, I know this is an issue that is going to be near and dear to you. Like, I can't, like I can't this, wait to this, find out. This has Mark written all over it. Uh, I'm a little scared. <laughs> Here is the question. When would it be unlawful discrimination? When Dennis walks in the room. Usually, but <laughs> Sorry. this is a different right. case. No. When would it be unlawful discrimination... <laughs> he's giving me a look. He can't see this, but he's giving I, I just, me this look. I, I, I just, I know Mark's going to like jump out of his chair when I hear this. When would it be unlawful discrimination to tell an employee that they have to cut their hair? Oh, man, that does hit close to home. Yeah. For those of, you know, those of you who don't know us personally, I have... Pretty much no hair. Yeah, you have hair that grows have, down on your face. I have a beard, but yes. that's about it. Mark has a full head of luscious hair. Um, that used to be very long. Very long. Now it's just moderately long. It's like beetles long. Now. Beetles long, yeah. yeah. Um, a little but more it, curly. It used to be more not, like not really Leonard Skinner yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. No, it used to be all the way down. Yeah. Well, there is a case that was recently denied certification from the United States Supreme Court that will shed a little bit of light on when you can tell your employees to cut their hair. I can't wait. So Chastity Jones, who happens to be African-American, filed a complaint with the EEOC saying that her employer, the Catastrophe Management Solutions Insurance Company. CMSI. CMSI violated Title VII by denying her a job because of her dreadlocks. The EEOC took the position that that was racial discrimination. Okay. They filed a lawsuit. It was dismissed. The EEOC appealed it. It went up to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. So Southeast U.S.? Who, again, agreed that no, that's not a cognizable legal claim. And then the Supreme Court denied denied cert. So the ruling stands. Now, with the EEOC and Jones and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund all said is basically that it was discrimination based on, quote, black hair texture, unquote, which they said was a, an immutable trait of blackness and that Jones was the victim of racial discrimination. The courts, on the other hand, said, no, this, isn't any, this has nothing to do with Jones's hair as an immutable characteristic. It is the very mutable choice of having dreadlocks as opposed to another hairstyle. Or, or hair of a certain length. Or, or hair of a certain length or whatever. And is there any allegation here by her that 
similar style or length on somebody who is not African-American was treated differently? No, there is not. And apparently, maybe that wasn't evidence that Ms. Jones or the EEOC had access to. And is there, I'm curious, is there a dispute here anyway? Does the employer say, yeah, that's why we didn't hire her. It was because of her dreadlocks. No, the, the employer just said, no, we, we don't think dreadlocks are appropriate hairstyle yeah. for the workplace. Okay, so they said it was because oh, yeah. of that, not because she wasn't no, it's, qualified it's, it's, or it's, something it's, else. Yeah, no, it's all so, because of dreadlocks. Okay. Interesting. I found that to be interesting. And I bet this comes up quite a bit of time mm-hmm. where somebody comes along and says, I mean, I know this comes. This happens all the time, where somebody says a particular style of dress might be a expression of their religious belief or national origin, or their national origin, or you know something of that nature. But if, it's never occurred to me that somebody's choice of hairstyle could end up being the basis of a race discrimination claim. Now that Ms. Jones and the EEOC have made it. I can actually see it. Yeah, no, I, I I, mean, it's a little hard to get into without seeing all the analysis, right? I could see that being a cognizable claim. Right. Now, and maybe with some slightly different facts or circumstances, that, that turns into a real case. Now, here's my thing. If there were white people with dreadlocks... Oh, then... Which, if you live in Portland, Oregon, you see... You it. see, yeah. If there were white people with dreadlocks working at the insurance company, and, and they were cool, A-okay. right? Well, that's what I was saying. Is is it is, is there some right. disparate, actual disparate treatment between people wearing the same hairstyle depending on the color of their skin? But what if it wasn't the same hairstyle? What if it was just right. like some white guy with Leonard Skinner hair hanging out? Right. But no, a black woman with dreadlocks is not okay. Does that change the analysis? Do you can you look it, beyond the very particular hairstyle? Really good question. Yeah. Right. I imagine different courts would come down completely differently on that. I would imagine so. And it might depend on the hairstyle, you know. Like what if some guy's got like some right. flock of seagulls thing going on? <laughs> it might look, you know, unprofessional, but it would look unprofessional in a completely different way than somebody's dreads. And is it the question of professionalism? That would drive that? Or is it a question of length or disruption? Well, or, I, I mean, it's and just, there's, there's certain occupations where the length of your hair is a safety concern. Well, yeah, well, we're you safety know, if you're and operating things, yeah. a, a lathe machinery, or a yeah. drill press and your dreadlock gets caught into it, it could really be a safety problem. But so right. could any length of hair. Yeah. So could my beard, for all we know. Yeah. Um, but there's also things that people do. They put their hair in a, inside of a net or, a, you know, a, a bag that looks like the Jamaican flag, perhaps. I'm just thinking of Homer Simpson. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 but there are different ways that you can take care of dreadlocks to keep them, you know, up and out of machinery. So that yeah. shouldn't be a, a problem. I, I don't know. But this, right, it's a close call for me. Yeah. Fascinating. It, it apparently wasn't for the Supreme Court because they decided not to hear the case. That doesn't super shock me. Yeah. Doesn't shock me as the sort of case they would take right at the moment. Maybe not. They're not really in the mood to be looking to expand the realm of discrimination. And civil rights. Yeah. Yeah. It's not their thing. Yeah. I get it. Anyway. <laughs> I don't get it. I thought it was um, I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. And it takes away an excuse that you might have to say that, you know, you're your luscious locks or some sort of expression of your ethnicity. Which they're not. I know. <laughs> but I figured you might want to make that up. Okay. I'm just telling you this, like, you know, don't think that's your get out of barbershop free card. Fair enough. I won't. All right. I, I have a follow-up. You do? I do. Oh, that's right. You've got some follow-up for yeah. us. Yeah. So you remember, I already, already mentioned it once, our cruise, cruise ship, ship episode. Yeah. Our story about the photographer on the cruise ship who was forced into photographing a murder scene. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And we had some good discussion about it. Well, it turns out, and I had forgotten this, one of our listeners is an HR director for a cruise line. Wow, perfect. And she sent us uh, a fairly lengthy response. I'm going to read it because I thought it it raised some very interesting issues uh, given her experience. Go for it. So uh, 
She says, my reaction and summary, the photographer in this case should never have been asked to provide this type of assistance in this situation. On vessels with a smaller employee population like tankers, oil rigs, container ships, yachts, etc., there may be a need for a person to assist in just about anything, and they would know that from the outset of their contract. But in today's larger cruise ships, this is irresponsible and short-sighted. Having said that, all shipboard personnel is responsible for safety and security at sea, and the captain at any time can expect you to take on duties that are intended for the overall safety and security of the vessel, safety of life at sea being of the utmost importance. But this is not the case with the photographer because there were after actions that could have and should have been properly coordinated with individuals trained with crime scene investigation and chain of evidence. It makes sense. I mean, they're not going to get more dead because they don't take pictures. She says, it makes no sense to me why this person would have been asked to take pictures of a crime scene on a cruise ship. Here's some background. The staff captain, second in command to the captain, is generally in charge of overseeing safety and security on board. Larger ships will also have a shipboard security officer or team. In the situation you describe, the assistant photo manager, APM, (laughs) just, just reading what I got, even though potentially a leadership position, should have no involvement in the investigation unless he was a witness or otherwise directly involved. If someone needed to borrow a camera, they could have easily facilitated that from the photo team. However, only those involved in the investigative security aspect of the event should have even entered that room. Further, the ship would most likely be coordinating with USCG. United States Coast Coast Guard. Guard. Yep. In establishing next steps, including securing the scene for when they board to investigate. Since it happened in U.S. waters, this is important, the USCG and or the FBI carry jurisdiction on the events of the crime. However, the well-being of the crew crew member, leader or not, is governed by the Jones Act for negligence and Maritime Labor Convention, MLC 2006, for overall seafarers' rights and anything that occurs in service of the vessel and potentially the ITF, this is in another language, Federación Internacional de los Trabajadores de Transport Italy, basically the International Transport Union. This is me, the French major, trying to say something in, I think, Spanish. Spanish. Sounds so, like Spanish. Yeah, um, except not when it comes out of my mouth. Anyway, uh, and all of this should be facilitated by shipboard HR, presuming they even had an HR department on board. The photographer might have to prove that negligence came from his asking for assistance that was not given, Jones Act. However, a claim through the MLC and or ITF might be given greater weight from the overall well-being of a person on board a vessel requiring maintenance slash cure if he was diagnosed with something that occurred out of a shipboard event. Let me not even get into the risk management public relations exposure from that decision. Here's a simple side thought. Even in a slight event where we had, for instance, a lifeguard respond to a scene where the person may have to be airlifted with an unknown outcome, we still immediately provided the crew member with access to counseling, time off from work if they felt it was necessary, time with the medical doctors for them to be able to establish wellness, check-ins to ensure the person was resting slash sleeping in the days ahead, and just establishing an overall sense of, are they okay after their recent experience? Makes sense. Absolutely. I would also coach the department head and immediate leader on how to check in with the crew member to make sure they were okay and open the door for them to talk, go to medical, or come back to HR if needed. This is strictly my personal opinion in response to your podcast. Very cool. I thought that was amazing. That was amazing. And And thank you for for sending it. Sheds a lot of light on regulations and laws that I had never even heard of in languages that I can't pronounce. Yeah. And uh, I I philosophically liked what she said at the end in terms of just caring for the individual who went through it, whether it was appropriate for them to be part of that or not. Yeah. So thank you for that uh, response. I thought that was pretty cool. It makes me wonder, you know how like every now and then you're on an airplane and somebody gets sick and the captain will come on and say like, is there a doctor on board? Could they have gone out and said like, is there a photographer on board? We have a crime scene. Yeah, but would you just ask for a photographer? It would have to be somebody who's who's got some. Well, do we have a crime scene photographer right. on board? Because I, I imagine, you know, they take cruises too. Yeah, 
I suppose you could, and it's or just like, would you like to be a crime scene photographer? Here, here's you can here, volunteer. Read, read this one-page piece of paper about chain of custody. Yeah, you, you, can, you can Wikipedia <laughs> that stuff. Yes, take your iPhone out and I, shoot a crime scene. I, Why not? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. See the things we come up with I, on the hostile work environment. Never would have thought this is something we would talk about. Me neither. Cool. So. We'll take another break, and when we come back, we're going to have a very special guest telling a couple very special listener-submitted stories. It's Sean McGuire. He is our very first patron to have pledged 40 bucks a month, and the reward for that is to be able to come on and tell your own stories. So and they were when good. come back, they're, they're good. good. We, Stick we, around. We, we already recorded it, as we yeah, said. Yeah, we, we so know they're we, good. We already so, know it's good. Yeah. So, so Stick around. Stick around. We'll be right back. So, Mark, today is a momentous occasion. Do you know why? I kind of do. You kind of do. It's probably not going to come as a surprise. We do talk at least that much about what we're going to do on this podcast. Today, we have on the line with us Sean McGuire. You, you may have heard his name before on this we podcast. We read it frequently on this podcast. Sean was our very first $40 patron. And we give little rewards for certain levels of patronage. And the reward at $40 is that we give you an invite to come onto the show and tell your own story. And Sean is here to do that for us today. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here and thanks for all your support. We really, really do appreciate yours and all of our other patron support. Without that, I'm not sure we'd be doing this show. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Sean. Uh, Well, I've been in HR for about a decade and uh, I've had a variety of uh, different positions in HR. And I've I've had a lot of uh, wild uh, experiences that people (laughs) probably will relate to in human resources. Well, we asked you to pick one of the most wild and tell us about it. Mark and I have no idea what you're going to say. Um, luckily, this is not a podcast that's heavily edited, so you've got some pretty free reign. Um, go ahead and, and, and tell us your, your, your favorite. Uh, we had one case uh, between a manager and a subordinate where the subordinate was, got very confrontational with the manager, their direct supervisor. Yeah. And they got into a fist fight, Whoa. which led to the uh, manager driving her motor vehicle up on the sidewalk and trying to pin the employee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Well, um, can I can I ask what, what kind of industry was this in? <laughs> uh, it was in the shipping and logistics industry. OK. OK, good. OK. Um, Somehow that makes me feel better than if you had said the kindergarten teacher industry. Right, right. I was going to say, you know, I work, I work for a large religious organization or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I got to ask, what, what did you do? Um, we looked at the surveillance camera and she was within inches of basically pinning him against a brick wall. And uh, we decided to terminate his employment because he started the the fight. What about the manager that pinned him up against uh, the wall? The manager was on very thin ice from that point forward. And oh, wow. uh, she was moved out later on uh, after my tenure there. Oh, okay. So, so what, does that imply then at some level that what this guy did was so bad that it almost justified that level of response? <laughs> Uh, yes, it, 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 it did certainly justify that level of response. Wow. But, uh, you, you had to kind of mitigate that with what both parties did, unfortunately. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what did he say? Do you know? Uh, he was calling her a uh, bitch, a Spanish bitch, and uh, it, there, there was heated words exchanged and... Um, it, it led to a lot of uh, turmoil, unfortunately. Wow. And which one was the manager? Uh, the manager was the person with the motor vehicle. Okay, so yeah. she was the manager. She was the manager, yes. Wow. Wow, that's 
That's pretty good. I don't know that I've had that level of workplace violence. No, I've never had anything, you know, dealing with somebody actually trying to pin someone else with a car. No. Or a motor vehicle of any kind of issue. <laughs> I've had the occasional workplace fight, but it's usually like a swing and a miss and it's over. You know? Right. Well, yeah. And then for like vehicle stuff, it's always been, you know, there was an accident. Yeah. And how do we how do we manage the fallout from that? That was good, Sean. Thanks. Uh, I've had many more uh, incidents in that employer, and uh, that's (laughs) one of the reasons why I left them and, you know, decided to move on. I'm thinking good call. We've got time if you want. Do you want to tell us one more? Yeah. Do you you have another? Um, We had a case in the same employer uh, between two managers on on a Saturday. One of them was coked up, uh, coked up CDL driver. And the oh, other the best kind <laughs> was another manager in the uh, same setup. Uh, they got into a fist fight with each other in full view of the surveillance cameras on the phone with the COO of the company. Wait, so they were on the phone with the CEO and then they got into a fight? They were on the phone with the COO. COO, excuse me. Uh, on two phone calls. So one is on one end and the other one's on another end and they're punching each other in the face. And it's, uh, <laughs> and it's all on, on audio. Like the, the, the COO heard it and, and it was on the surveillance camera. and it's on the surveillance camera. Yeah. That's awesome. If you're going to fight at work, make sure you do it in front of a camera and, and an executive. That's also good. <laughs> I like that. What happened to those two, uh, um, exemplary one them, employees. One of them later tested positive for, for cocaine on a, a DOT drug test, and uh, the other one we had to exit their employment. <laughs> <laughs> that does not shock me. Probably a good call. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Sean. Um, Thank we really, you. We uh, appreciate the stories. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, that's, I, I have more stories from the same employer, but I'm, I'm not going to get into uh, gross detail with that. Unfortunately, we may have to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how can folks reach you? Uh, they can reach me via email. Uh, you can you know, maybe forward it to them. You know, I'd rather do it confidentially cause I don't want to be uh, named out there. Absolutely. Sure thing. If anybody wants to get a hold of Sean, write to us at stories at hwepodcast.com. We'll put the two of you in touch. Awesome. And on that note, thank you, Sean. Thank you to all of our patrons. And we'll be back with you next week. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, Sean. Bye. What is this? Schwarzwald or Kirschtort? Oh, do you like it? I'm not partial to desserts myself, but this is excellent. Who are you talking to? To you. You just made a yummy sound, so I thought you liked the dessert.